this is Pastor Pete. My prayer is that this message you're about to hear will help you to understand and experience God's love and power, regardless of what you may be going through today. God bless you. Continue through this series in the book of Genesis. Let's pray, though, that God will bless our, bless our time. Father, I am not the teacher in this room. You are. So please teach us, guide us, show us the truth about who you are and who we are. Show us the truth about the devil so that we can be more alert for his tactics. Thank you for the victory we have in Christ Jesus. Let these seeds fall on good soil. In the mighty name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. So we're still going through this series in the book of Genesis, examples to follow and not to follow. And uh, there's some dangerous examples to follow in the Bible, and then there's some that lead to safety. Now that's interesting because some people would say, if you follow Jesus, that's dangerous too. But even if you die, Jesus said, he who lives and believes in me will never die. So there's the, the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that Jesus is with the Christian who's going through trouble. The one who doesn't know Christ is going through trouble on their own. <laughs> All things work together for good to those who follow Christ and those who love him. Everybody else is on their own. That's why we have to introduce people to Jesus so they can know this wonderful Savior that, that we have. So, but there's, there's examples to follow and not to follow that we'll see here in the book of Genesis as we continue to, to make our way through. I want to tell you the story about Einstein. Any of you ever, ever heard of Einstein? He's actually a, not a very smart guy, right? No, actually very, 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 very intelligent, to say the least. And uh, one time, Einstein got on a train. He's heading from Princeton, New Jersey. He's heading somewhere. And uh, <laughs> the conductor's going through, you know, he's punching tickets, you know, to see who's you know, who's on the train, where you're going, did you pay, or are you just sitting there? So when he came to Mr. Einstein, this is a true story I hear, when he came to him, he's searching for his train ticket, and he can't find his train ticket. And so the conductor felt bad for him, and the conductor recognized him because he was, he was a famous guy. He said, Mr. Einstein, don't worry, I know who you are. You don't have to worry about your ticket, but he's still searching for it. He's like, where's my ticket? So the conductor went to another car, he's continuing to punch, and he came back, and he found Albert Einstein under his chair looking for his ticket. He felt so bad because he wanted to find his ticket. He said, Mr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. It's okay. And Einstein said, oh yeah, I know you know who I am, and I know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. He forgot 
his destination. This is not the first time I heard this, by the way, about Albert Einstein. There's other times that I've heard that he did not memorize his address or his phone number because he said, why should I waste my brain on that stuff? I can just write it down and keep it in my pocket. Why should I have to memorize those things? So he would, I guess, purposely forget stuff or not really spend time thinking about those type of things. But the Bible says God remembers you. He never forgets you. He knows details about you. He knows your favorite color, sister. He knows your favorite ice cream, bro. I know he knows my favorite ice cream. He knows what makes us sad. He knows what makes us, makes us happy. He knows your worst memory. He knows your best memory. He knows exactly what you need right now. He remembers you. He doesn't forget. This awesome God that knows us, loves us, and will never forget us when we're going through a hard time, you might feel like God has forgotten you. Nope. He remembers you. He has you in mind. He knows what your strongest desire is right now. Enchilada Suiza, is that what you call it? Enchilada Suiza, is that what's on your mind right now? Uh, what else is there? Um, there's, my son is thinking about pizza right now. I know that's what he's thinking about. He knows what your strongest desire is. He knows everything about you. For this God who knows so much about you, loves you so much, would never, would never put you out of his mind. He prepares things for you. How do you respond to somebody like that? The, the God who never forgets you. The God who has you in mind and provides everything that you need. How do you respond to somebody like that? Well, first of all, you should believe he loves you. Believe that he is all-powerful and he has no limits. You need to believe that because without faith, it's not only impossible to please God without faith, it's impossible to have peace in your heart without faith. Believe he loves you and that he'll never forget you. So you, you have Noah on this ship, on this boat, this ark, this huge ship that was the size of two football fields. It's about 150 yards long, four stories high. The width was probably, I don't know, probably half of they say about half of that football field. But it's definitely 150 yards long. It could fit 45,000 animals. That's bigger than any zoo that I've ever been to. You know what I mean? There's some big zoos out there, but 45,000 animals. That's how, much, that's how many animals could actually fit. But there he goes. He had a whole, lot, a whole lot more hair than I do right now. That's a picture of him in 1933. 
responding to the one who remembers us. He will never forget you. How do you respond to a God like this? Have you ever felt alone and then the Lord shows you, I'm here, I didn't forget you. I remembered your need, but you felt alone? You felt like, God, you don't, do you understand what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm going through? Have you turned your back on me? Have you forgotten me? And then he shows you, no, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten you, Noah. I know you've been on the water. You know how long they were floating on that water? A year, around a year. A little over one year. You're thinking, really? Yeah, it rained for less than that, but it was, they were floating for a while. Maybe they were like, did he forget us? You, you, you built this boat. We've been out here for a while now, Lord, and the, the, these animals are smelling awful. But God didn't forget them. We're in Genesis chapter 8. God remembers us and our needs. Look at Romans chapter 8 with me. And we're going to check out a few verses here. Genesis, allow you to find that. Genesis chapter 8. The Lord is so good in giving us this opportunity to to study his word, but more than that, to apply it to our lives. Amen? Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. Beginning at verse 1. But God remembered Noah. Amen? He didn't forget. You could put your name in there. God remembered Jose. God remembered Akane. God remembered. He remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. We're going to read down to verse 5. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed. And the rain from the sky was restrained. And the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased, started to decrease after those days. And in the 70th month, seventh month, I'm sorry, on the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. That's in the country of Turkey, by the way. When I visited Turkey, I thought maybe I was close to where the ark landed, but then I was in the eastern, I was in the western part of Turkey, and this was way on the other side. I wasn't able to go and see this. Verse 5, and the water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. This is to give you an idea of, of how deep this water was. It covered the mountains. Then as it started to decrease, you could see the mountaintops. So could you imagine that? Being on this huge body of water and you're seeing the top of mountains. Like, what in the world? And then the water started to decrease. Let's look at this. 
He says, I've, I've engraved you in the palm of my hand. I, I, I want to check that verse out with you. Isaiah 49, 16. This is how you know the Lord will never, he, he always has you in mind. Look at Isaiah, really quick. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16. This is what God says to the people of Israel. Behold, I have inscribed you, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Then he says, your walls are continually before me. He says, I know the destruction of your walls, your defenses are really low, the enemies are attacking, but your names are written on my hand. It's interesting, if you picture the hand of Jesus that has a scar on it, and he has your name, he has my name. He must have a really big hand, right, to get all these names on. He has your name, bro, right on his hand. Not as a way to say, I don't ever want to forget. It's just to let you know, he's, he's always, always thinking about you. The fact that he died for you, the fact that he loves you. Engraved in the palm of his hand, your name is there. This is an incredible loving God that we serve. And God remembered Noah. It says it right there. God remembered him. He always has us in mind. Since he never forgets us, God provides all we need for all the assignments he gives us. Noah needed trees to build the ark and other necessary materials. God remembered Noah. When someone remembers you, they plan ahead for you. Before you came to Guadalajara, he provided friendships for you. Before you entered any city, that you, any place that you lived, he provided that school to attend. He thought ahead. He says, this is what's going to be needed. He prepared ahead of time for you. He remembers you. He remembers the different needs that you would have. He provided counselors for you, pastors for you. I'm thinking of the mentors he had for me. When my dad moved from Nicaragua to Brooklyn, there's friendships that my dad had there. My dad didn't know that he was going to become a pastor at Evergreen Baptist Church. He didn't know. God had it all planned out. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 says that God goes before you. He goes ahead of you to just set things up. He always remembers what his children need. He never forgets you. He has it all planned out for you. Everything. You know what else he prepares for you? You're not going to like this. He prepares challenges for you to build your faith. He said, I know ahead of time, I'm going to need to put this person in your life to get on your nerves. Yep. Because all things work together for good. God even used Judas to accomplish the mighty work of God. He sets things up for you. He prepares challenges to get you to trust him more. And then with those challenges, he teaches you how to pray, to depend on him. Watch this. He told the Pharisees one day, you need to learn mercy. Now, how do you do that? There has to be somebody that comes into your life to offend you. 
so you can show them mercy. <laughs> God, why do you do it that way? That's how he works. That's how he refines gold. He takes you through fire, and all things work together for good. He'll take you through a baptism of fire, and it'll all work together for good, knowing he knows that it's something that will be uncomfortable, but he knows that that will cause you to cry out to him and trust in his love, his power, and his wisdom. He thinks about you. He thinks about what will be good for my child. What does he need? Noah, what, is, what does Noah need? Noah needs some challenges. It wasn't easy. It couldn't have been easy for him to build that ark for 150 years, 120 years it took him to build it. But God provided everything he needed, the wood, everything he needed, God gave him. He thinks ahead. He knows what you need for your journey, for your assignment. He thinks of you ahead of time. He knows what you need. God used the wind to cause the water to subside. So God sent this wind. Wow. Wind is mentioned by Jesus to describe God's spirit in John chapter 3. He told Nicodemus, the spirit of God is like wind. He sends wind, but you don't know which direction it's coming from. It's not really predictable. Even when a hurricane sweeps through a town, you don't know exactly which house it's going to destroy, do you? No. You see, some houses still standing. Some are blown to smithereens. Wind is a very mysterious thing. That's the way the spirit of God is. It's like wind. And he told Nicodemus that. He says, you must be born again. You must have a new start. And God will send a wind into your life to wipe some other things away so you can start over. To mess up your plans so you can see things from a different perspective. Wind, the wind of God. Look at this. Wind was used by God on the day of Pentecost. A strong wind came through that upper room when they began to speak in different languages. Wind blew through that place. Symbolic of the Spirit of God. And in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter, uh, chapter 37, he said, prophesy to the wind. And the wind came and filled. It, it went from dry bones. They put flesh on them. And it, it and before that, even muscle and wind blew into those dry bones and they came to life. Wind will bring new life to you. So God says, I'm going to send this wind to cause the water to subside because unless the water subsides, there can't be new life. Photosynthesis can't take place on these trees for the trees to grow if they're covered with water. And so... God knew that, so he sends a wind in order to bring new life. And that's what he did. Also, God blew, blew into Adam to begin his life. Wind, very, very interesting thing to study in the scripture. Have you invited God's wind to blow into your life to give you a new start? Have you ever said, Lord, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the way I'm living I want to invite your wind to just blow into me, blow everything out of me that doesn't need to be there 
Fill me with your spirit. Invite him. Invite his wind to come in. Blow things away that shouldn't be there. Blow new things in. That wind. Invite him. God created the mountains of, of, of Ararat for the ark to rest. All things were made by him and for his purposes. Brady, you're 15, correct? How old is Poppy? 12, 13? 13? Daniel's 19? I forget how old I am. No matter what age you are, you're obviously still here, right? And God is preparing things for you ahead of time, just like he knew that the ark would need a place to rest. So he made the mountains of Ararat for the ark to land upon. God has already prepared things for you. People that you haven't even met yet. He's prepared it. If you're, if you're married, there are other couples he wants you to meet. If you're not married yet, she's out there, God willing. If you know that, you know, it's not God's will that you be single, trust him. He has prepared things for you ahead of time. If you need a husband, if there's something that you are looking for, God has prepared things ahead of time, but he wants you to rest in him. He wants you to rest. He wants you to be at peace. In Genesis chapter 30, Rachel was not able to have any children. Jacob had another wife. Remember her name? Leah. He should have only had one wife to begin with, but there was deception and confusion, and Leah had a whole bunch of kids. Rachel wasn't able to have any children. But if you read Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, it says God remembered Rachel. And she gave birth. And Joseph was born to her. God remembered. So when I was doing this study, I, I remember reading that one day. God remembered Rachel. And I know when I remember, I know why I remember it. Because at that time, we wanted more children. We had lost a baby went home to be with the Lord, and we, but we wanted more children. Danny was about three years, two, two years old at the time. And I was reading in Genesis, and I read there it said, God remembered Rachel. God remembered Noah as Noah was going through his adventure. And I said, Lord, please remember my wife. Remember D. Less than two months later, we found out that Raina was inside. We didn't know it was a girl yet, but we knew. I mean, we know now she was who she is. But God remembers you, no matter what you're going through. Don't let the devil th make make you think God has forgotten you. It's not true. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. What is aching your heart? What's bothering you? 
what you need strength for, what you need joy, how you need joy if you're going through something very, very difficult. God allows us to see things to strengthen our faith, and he did that for Gideon when Gideon needed, he, he put out a fleece because he wasn't sure if God could use him to, to conquer the Midianites. He allowed him to see things to strengthen his faith. Now, if you go back now to Genesis, look with me. In Genesis chapter 8, Look at verse 5. And the water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became what? Visible. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen, but they still believe. But Jesus knows you so well he knows if your faith is weak, and he knows if your faith is strong. Gideon, his faith was sort of weak. So he says, I got to show you this stuff, Gideon. I got to show you this, Noah, and I got to show your kids too. Look at the top of the mountains. The water is decreasing. You're about to walk on dry land really soon. It, it, it helps your faith when you start to see God knows where you're at. He knows that he needs to show you things sometimes. He knew that Thomas needed to see because Thomas said, unless I touch his scars and touch his side, I'm not going to believe. He was doubting. If you read all of the scripture, Thomas isn't the only one that doubted. The other disciples doubted too. One time Jesus appeared to them and some are looking at him, and it says, and they doubted. <laughs> if you're doubting God, he knows it. If you need your faith strengthened like Noah did and maybe his kids, he, God had to show them, look at the top of the mountains. The water is decreasing. I haven't forgotten you. Hallelujah. He knows exactly what you need to strengthen your faith. He knows. He knows it. It might be, for example, a testimony. Somebody gets up here and they say, you know, God did this for me. I, I, I had to wait on it, but he provided. And when you hear that testimony, it strengthens your faith. Or when you see a prayer answered, it's like, wow, you are real. You haven't forgotten me. You haven't forgotten us. He knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. He knew, he knew exactly what Gideon need to, needed to strengthen his faith. God supplies his way, not our way. Okay, here's an interesting thing now. Let's read this in, in Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 8. We're in Genesis chapter 8. Let's look, verses 6 through 12. Look at this with me. Look at this. And it came about at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Now, what encouraged him to take that step? He saw the top of the mountains, and it strengthened his faith. He's like, oh, wow, okay. So he opened the window, verse 7, look, and he, and he sent out a raven. Can I, now, look up at me. I need to confess something to you. I didn't know he sent out a raven. When I was studying this, I thought the only thing that was sent out was a dove. All these years I've been reading the Bible, I forgot that he sent out a raven. I was a little embarrassed to read that. Some of you were thinking, I didn't know either. Okay, that's fine. 
For those of you who are saying, oh, come on, Pastor Pete, you should have known that. I didn't know. I thought it was just a dove. Verse 7, and he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove. That's the part I remember. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So now we know it was a female dove. I don't know about you. But when I read that, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if he took the female dove, then the, then the male dove is without his wife. So you got a male dove on this ark without his wife, and he's all by himself. Everybody else has a wife, and the male dove is sitting there like, why did she leave me? Well, God needed the dove, took the, <laughs> took the dove, and could, she couldn't find any place to rest her feet. She returned to him into the ark. So maybe she went back to her husband and said, I'm back, sweetie. I went out there, didn't find nothing. He says, where did you go? Oh, Noah sent me to go flying, but it's good to see you again. I don't know if doves talk. I don't know. Listen to this. For the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days. Wow. This is taking time, isn't it? This whole process. Why is that? Why, does God, why is God putting Noah through all of this? And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. He sends out the dove again after seven days. And the dove came to him towards evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. Wow. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. So she probably goes, the dove probably goes back to her husband again and says, hey, I'm back again. I found a leaf. Really? Are you going to leave again? The dove ends up leaving again. The poor guy. This poor little, little dove. Verse 12. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. That poor Husband dove, that poor male dove didn't see his wife. Or maybe, maybe, maybe after he was let out, he found her. He says, where have you been? You guys are thinking, Pete, you're so strange. Why do you think about these things? I had to, I, I feel sorry for the dove. He didn't have his wife with him. So I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the dove. But listen to this. I want to read something to you that I found on the internet. Why would he choose a raven and a dove? Why would he do that? Rufus, can you please go to the men's room and get me some paper towel? I forgot to bring my handkerchief because I'm sweating like crazy here. I want to read something to you. Thank you, buddy. I want to read something to you about the, um, actually, you know what? It's here. I'm going to read something to you about the olive branch in a second, but this is very, very interesting. Why did Noah choose a raven and a dove? God spoke to him just like he gave him directions to build. God must have told him the raven is the, you got to pick this one, and this one. Okay. There's a reason. But why? Well, I looked it up. I looked up some stuff about these particular birds. 
And this isn't the last time we hear about ravens and doves in the Bible. God sent ravens to feed Elijah when Elijah was hungry. And there's a reason. We'll, we'll look at this. A dove descended upon Jesus during his baptism. Isn't that interesting? What is so special about these birds? Why were, um, and why were they just what Noah needed? Well, let's look at this. Ravens soar very high above trees and are considered the most intelligent birds, more intelligent than even chimpanzees, those, those monkeys that people say are so smart. Ravens are more smart. As people, these, these, uh, these folks who work in the zoos, as they take care of ravens, as they train ravens, they've discovered they're the most intelligent bird. I would have thought, you know, maybe a parrot or something. These ravens, these ravens can actually make some noises. Look, they can imitate other birds, and they can imitate the human voice also. Very, very intelligent. So if Noah gives him some instruction, he says, I got it, Noah. I understand everything you're, <laughs> everything you're saying. That's how smart this bird is. There's a reason. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. Okay, look at this. Doves can adjust to any environment. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. Oh, you do have the, oh, here it is. Thank you. I didn't even know you, you, you were behind me. You're very, you're, very, uh, you're very sharp, like a raven. Okay. Doves can adjust to any environment. They collect food in their esophagus to digest at a later time. So if he sends the dove on a long journey, the dove doesn't have to stop somewhere and say, I'm hungry, I get some food. They, they just keep it right there in their esophagus, and they can eat it later on. God knew, God knew that these are the type of birds that Noah needed. Now let me say something to you. Everything you need, the Lord has ahead of time to provide you with. Everything you need. He knew that Noah would need this type of bird. He knew it. A good thing Noah obeyed and let every animal on the ark that God said to, to let on. A good thing because if he didn't, he would miss out on a blessing. There's some things that God is telling you to do that might seem insignificant. But if you obey and do what he says, it's provision for you. And God knew that he needed these type of birds to get the job done. The really intelligent and the one that can live in just about any environment. The Lord knew it. The Lord knew it all along, and he provides for you. Now, why did he send out birds to investigate instead of God speaking to Noah again regarding dry land. God is sovereign over animals and nature, but why would God, listen to this now, because you might struggle with this. Why would, why would God allow you to go through a time where you're just seeking his, seeking wisdom, seeking guidance, Like I was, I was going through something not long ago where, well, seven years ago, Lord, where do you want us to live? Why wouldn't God just tell me immediately, this is where I want you to live? He wanted us to seek him in prayer. He wanted to take us through this process 
of trusting him. Why didn't he just say to Noah, oh, by the way, Noah, the, the, the land is dry now. You guys can leave. Why, why, send, why send this bird out, the raven, and then send out the, the dove, and then it comes back, and seven days later, it's this process of, and then Noah's wife is probably saying, what's taking this so long? And is this bird ever coming back? <laughs> why go through all this crazy stuff? God, why don't you just tell Noah? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. God will not, God does not want you to just have microwave everything. He wants you to trust him, to go through the process, to follow his instructions step by step by step. But I want it to be easy. But if you talk to any athlete who wins championships, you say, was that easy? There's things they had to go through. Soldiers, they got to go through stuff. There's boot camp we have to go through. I was just talking to a Marine, a U.S. Marine recently, and he was telling me about boot camp, how hard it was. There's things God wants you to go through, and let me just show you. Let me just show you this. Let me just show you this. Consider this. Why did Moses send the 12 spies to the land of Canaan? God could have just told them, this is what you're going to find in Canaan. No, God wanted to take him. I want to show you something, Moses. There's some things I want to teach you. When you send these 12 spies, I'm going to teach you something about faith. Ten of them are not going to believe that I can help you. Two of them are going to believe. And what are their names? you remember their names? Joshua and Caleb. So in the midst of that process of sending out the spies, God had a lesson to teach him. I'm going to show you that most of these so-called believers really don't believe. That's a lesson for you to learn. Don't be surprised as you meet Christians in this city and around the world, you sit down with them and you're thinking, are you sure you believe in Jesus? <laughs> don't be surprised because bro narrow is the road. It's a narrow road. Few find it. Only two out of 12 spies really believed that God could help them conquer Canaan. There was a lesson in this. Sometimes God is trying to teach you some things about faith. And so he allows you to go through a process, send the spies. But why don't you just tell me if we, what, what, what it looks like? Why do we have to send spies? Why march around the walls of Jericho all these times? Why do we have to do that? He's trying to build your faith as he takes you through this. Quick answers and quick results don't develop faith and patience. It won't. Some of you read ahead, I know. Let me keep on reading. As we wait, we see God's hand orchestrating and providing. There's a reason why a baby is born in nine months and not nine seconds. There are some things God wanted to teach me when, she was when Dee was pregnant with Daniel, when Dee was pregnant with Raina, and with our other child, Joseph Thomas, who's with Jesus right now. There are some things that God wanted to teach us about pregnancy. So even Mary had to go through nine months, more or less, of pregnancy with Jesus on the inside. Jesus could have just showed up. As, a, as an adult, boop, I'm here, guys. All right, let's start ministry. 
Anybody want some healing? He was born to, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, amen? Grew up, went through this process. There's a process that God wants to take us through, and he was trying to teach Noah that. There's a process I want to take you through, Noah, so that you trust me more and more, more and more. So those are some, there's some interesting things there that we want to keep in mind. Let me just share this with you. Let me share this with you quickly because we're going to be closing soon. I want to tell you about this olive branch. I mean, this, yeah, this olive branch. An olive branch represents new life and peace. According to Romans chapter 11, listen to how now he, now this dove brings this olive branch. It's interesting. What is the significance? Why an olive branch? When I read this, I thought, oh, Lord, these symbolic things in the Bible. Listen to this. Before we close, listen to this. According to Romans chapter 11, the olive tree represents Israel, and the wild olive tree represents the believing Gentiles who were grafted in to become one with those who have placed their faith in the Messiah. But there's also symbolism of how we can have peace before judgment. And Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Now listen to this. The name Gethsemane, y'all familiar with the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It means olive press. Gethsemane means olive press. And there Jesus had, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had all the world's sin. It was pressing upon him as if it were crushing him while he was in prayer. Here it was that Jesus, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I feel like that's happening to me right now. No man alive has ever faced such pressure and torrential pain and suffering. It's as if the olive press was squeezing Jesus by the weight of all the sins of humanity that have ever, that have ever been committed and will yet be committed. What used to be an inspiring place of prayer, the Garden of Gethsemane, now becomes a place of the greatest betrayal in human history, yet much good came out of it. Jesus was hard-pressed in the garden, of, uh, 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 the garden of Gethsemane, which are, um, which are pressed or crushed to produce oil, olive oil. In the same way, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. And then later on, Jesus actually tells a story about wise virgins on the, on the Mount of Olives, where there's a bunch of olive trees. He tells a story about coming judgment and some wise virgins and some foolish virgins. Some had oil, most likely olive oil, and others waited too late to get their oil. And it says, when the bridegroom came, they went in and the door shut. Does that sound familiar? The ark, the door of the ark was shut and judgment came. These, uh, this olive branch represents a lot of stuff. It represents peace. It represents protection. It represents, it symbolizes salvation, but it also is talking about coming judgment because Jesus was actually preaching around a lot of olive trees. Why is that? To remind the people of the first judgment that came, the big judgment of the flood, 
And now there's another judgment that will come. Interesting, while that the, the dove brought an olive branch and all that is connected to that. The yes shepherd responds, Genesis chapter 8, 13 through 19. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. 13 through 19. Genesis chapter 8, verses 13 through 19. Now it came about, now it came about in the sixth, I'm sorry, is that correct? Yeah. In 600, in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. And in the second month, on the tw uh, 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your family and your sons, and your wives with you, bring out with you all of the living creatures, and you see them there mentioned. And then verse 18, so Noah went out and his sons and his wives and their wives. Verse 19, every beast, every creeping, living, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth. Okay? So, look at this. Noah moves after hearing God's voice. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. That's when you move, when the Lord speaks to you. Now, how does God speak to you? Look at this. We'll talk about that. Look at this. How does God speak to you? How can you know when God speaks to you? Like I was speaking to a friend yesterday. He says, yeah, and God told me, and it was confirmed this way, and it was confirmed that way. But he never said anything about the Bible. That's the number one way. That's the, that's the way you know God is speaking. It will not contradict the Bible. Amen? His word, prayer, he says, if my word abides in you, ask what you will. It will not contradict the word of God. John chapter 15, verse 7. Advice from other Christ followers, God will use that to speak to you, but it will never contradict the Bible. Circumstances, God can even use dreams and visions to speak to you. But it won't contradict God's word. But God spoke to him. We need to have a yes shepherd response. Yes shepherd, wherever you're the good shepherd, whatever you tell me to do, I want to hear your voice and nobody else's. And if somebody else gives me advice, it should not contradict what you're saying. God had to tell Noah to bring all his family, all the animals and creeping things because possibly, listen to this, because possibly Noah would have picked and chosen who or what to bring. He would have been like, yeah, I don't want that animal. I don't want those roaches. I don't want, no, no, those, uh, you make too much noise. I don't want that animal because it smells bad. I don't want that daughter-in-law. She gets on my nerves. I don't want that. And he would have said, no, you guys can stay. Everybody else, get off the ark. But God, <laughs> God said, get them all off. And he says, yes, Lord. All right. I tried to help you, son. <laughs> but see, if we do things God's way, we won't regret it. His ways are higher than our ways. Follow his instructions. What if some family members irritated him and some animals or insects just seemed useless? 
he wouldn't have told him to get off the ark, but God told him, get him off. Some people or things are never a bother to us until we live with them in a limited space. So here he is with these irritating animals, family. It's like, oh, I love you, but boy, are you getting on my nerves. It, it happens to us sometimes. In a stressful, unusual situation, different personalities, clashing, this happens. But we need to respond with agape love, God's way is best. Last couple verses. How does your gratitude smell? With all these things God is doing for you, all the things he's protected you from, all the things that he has given you, the way that he protected them on the, on the ark, how does your gratitude smell? And for some of us, we so rarely say thank you to the Lord that that's how God's face looks. Really, God is like, you know, your gratitude, it smells so bad. It doesn't have a nice aroma. Look at this. In the last two verses, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, look, look with me. Verses 20 to 22, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took off every clean animal, clean animal, and of every clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar, and God smelled the soothing aroma. God smelled it. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. He will do it with fire next time, but he'll never do it with water again, it says. Verse 22, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and night and day shall not cease. So you will always see the seasons until the end of time, until God says, that's it. So, what has God delivered you from? How has he demonstrated his mercy and grace in your life, similar to how he did it for Noah and his family? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we should offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. The burnt offerings Offering is a symbol, is symbolic of a total surrender of your being to the Lord. In view of God's mercy, you can say, here am I. It's like a burnt offering that you're just giving yourself to him. Lord, you've been so good to me. I give myself to you. And that aroma smells so good to the Lord. Amen? The fact that there were clean animals chosen is symbolic of the perfect Lamb of God who gave himself for us. And because he's given himself for us, we live for him, according to 2 Corinthians. And verse 21 shows us that our gratitude has a soothing aroma to God. What kind of aroma does your life have? Let's close. Let's stand to our feet at this time. Let's stand to our feet. Everyone stand to your feet at this time. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, this God that remembers you, and has blessed you, has protected you, has given you 
so much. My question to you is, is your gratitude bringing forth a beautiful aroma before God? Or do you complain more than celebrate God's goodness? Does your wife hear you complaining more than giving thanks to the Lord? Does your husband hear you complaining more than giving thanks? Do unsafe people on your job hear you complaining about the boss more than showing respect and giving thanks for the blessings? Do people hear you complaining about the president instead of thanking God for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Does your gratitude have a nice aroma? Noah built an altar because he wanted to show gratitude to the one who was so faithful. Noah could have complained about having to build that stupid ark for 120 years, but he was thankful for being out on the ocean for so long with all of those stink animals. He could have complained, but he gave thanks. Are there some things that you're focusing on and complaining about instead of giving thanks? Are you responding to this loving Lord and Savior who will always remember you? He has you written on his palm. He loves you. Are you like the people of Israel when manna was coming down? They wanted to complain instead of saying, thank you, God, thank you, Lord. Are you coveting what other people have and complaining, I wish I had this? Is your significance and your security in Christ? Or are you so busy looking at other people and what they have Do you wish you had a family like somebody else, forgetting that you have the perfect Father in heaven who's almighty? Are you complaining instead of celebrating, saying thank you, and in view of all of his mercy, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice in gratitude, beautiful aroma, in the nostrils of God, pleasing Him. If, if, if you want to start to thank Him more, you can do that right now. But first you need to say, Lord, sorry, I've been complaining too much. You can say, Lord, I can see Noah had a lot to complain about, but he decided to thank you. Thanking you for that salvation and preservation and protection. Thanking God for the warning in the first place to start building the ark. Thanking God that his children were okay. And they survived by the grace of God.
thanking God for that dove that came back with that olive leaf, that olive branch, for the raven that went out, thanking God for every little thing instead of complaining about every little thing. Let's respond. Even now, start thanking him. What can you thank him for? Start thanking him. Start thanking him. Thank him that he died for you. Thank him. He rose again, that he's Emmanuel. He'll never leave you. He'll never forget you. Thank him right now. I know this message went a little longer than usual, but I know that God wanted to encourage you to thank him. Some of us are depressed and frustrated because we're not thanking him consistently. We're thanking him sometimes. But if we start doing it consistently, as the Apostle Paul calls it, overflowing with thanksgiving, hallelujah, oh boy, we, will, we won't have time for depression. Amen? Amen? We won't have time. Ask God to help you to have a heart of gratitude. Bless each person here, Lord. And for those who have never trusted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they will come to you and say, Lord, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I'm accepting you as my Lord and Savior right now. Save me, Jesus. Forgive me of all of my sins. I'm depending on you for salvation and nothing else and no one else. You are the way, the truth and the life. For those of you who know the Lord, I just want to encourage you, keep thanking him. Keep praising him. And offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice. That's the best way you can show gratitude. Give yourself to him. Submitting to him with loving obedience. Full of gratitude. I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction, then we'll close with a song. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forever. Amen. Let's, oh. The kids are coming to sing a song for us, and we'll close. We're, we're ready, folks. You can bring those kitties, and then we'll close. Well, I hope that message was a blessing to you. Feel free to pass it on to someone who needs to hear it. And if you want to know more about having a relationship with Christ, check out our website at www.graceintruthgdl.org. And remember, so many are looking for real love and power in this life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God bless you.